This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as Vox Media's CTO, which stands for Chief Tweeting Officer, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Nicole Wong, the former Deputy Chief Technology Officer of the United States. She served under President Obama from 2013 to 2014, but before that worked for Google and Twitter in very critical positions. I've known her for a long time. Thank you, Nicole, for coming on to Recode Decode. I'm delighted to be here. I have dragooned you here because <laughs> There's so many topics that you are an expert on, and you, you've been inside the belly of the beast, you've been outside in government, that there's a lot of things we've got to talk about. Everything from election issues to content moderation to what these companies are doing to the legislation that's maybe coming for these tech companies. Probably not, because Congress is a bunch of idiots. Um, that's my opinion. So let's start first by talking about your background so people get an idea of where you've been. Sure. So you started, you're a lawyer. But I'm a lawyer, but you know what? When I was growing up, I wanted to be you, Ken. I wanted <laughs> to be a journalist for yeah. Like the time I was in sixth grade, and I uh, ended up going to only I only applied to law schools that had joint law and journalism degrees. Oh, so what I happened? A, Where did you, I had a graduate did you work degree for the school journalism? newspaper. And things? I did. I did the school newspaper. I was an intern at the Anchorage Daily News. Wow. I did bear stories. Wow. Okay. Uh, so you're from Alaska? <laughs> no, I'm from San Diego. But okay. like that you was went where I did there. my internship. Okay. At the end of it, I kind of decided that actually law was going to be. More yeah, because we're useless. Me. You got that. You figured that one out. <laughs> I just like something about like tactics, like the law part appealed to me. But I ended up doing First Amendment law when I mm-hmm. came out of school. So the first part of my career was representing newspapers, TV stations, radio stations in the Bay Area mm-hmm. on First Amendment issues, which was fabulous. Mm-hmm. But in the mid nineties, my give men- me your biggest First Amendment. What was your? I worked on. I don't know if you remember when uh, the Ninth Circuit ordered. They reversed the not doing the death penalty in the United States mm-hmm. or in, in California, excuse me. And so we did our first execution in, I think, like 1994 in mm-hmm. California. And then there was a case in California where, like, we were going to do an execution at San Quentin and the afternoon paper, the San Francisco Examiner, got locked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went in and made the case that if you don't have an afternoon paper, uh, if that execution happens overnight— no one's going to know about it the right. next morning because of the way right. print cycles worked, right, right. before the days of the, inter- uh, the Internet. So that was one of the cases I worked on. A lot of them were small. A lot of them were like, we need access to that courtroom. We need access to public records. Mm-hmm. Um, some were defamation cases. Some were libel cases. Some right. were reporters' privilege cases. Mm-hmm. But like in the mid-'90s, those newspapers started going online. Mm-hmm. And then my the partner that I had, and I've like followed them there, and in 1997, we started getting our first 
pure play internet clients. And mm-hmm. so Yahoo was a first one of the first clients. Mm-hmm. Um, some that you wouldn't remember, maybe like Silicon Investor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Hotmail, before it was acquired by Microsoft, Netscape. So you work for um, a lot, yeah. A bunch of them, right? That right. Were, like It was such an exciting time mm-hmm. to be both in the Valley, but also a lawyer where right. the law was still unclear. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got into that. In uh, 2004, I left the law firm, went to Google. I right. So why did you do that? A lot of people have done that. A lot of people haven't. Yeah. I'm trying, I know lots of different lawyers who have done that and moved along. Yeah. But you were covering lots of tech companies and, and, and startups and making law, like really because a lot of those deal making, there's all kinds of different right. legal right. issues to deal with. I So the thing that I most enjoyed mm-hmm. about counseling clients was actually helping them build the products. Mm-hmm. And so when Yahoo, when we first started presenting Yahoo, they had only two lawyers in their legal department, mm-hmm. neither of which who had a background in sort of publishers' mm-hmm. uh, responsibilities and rights. Right. During that time, and I think a lot of people forget, a lot of the folks who were moving onto the internet thought of themselves as software developers yeah. and didn't appreciate their role as publishers. Right. And so they still don't, Nicole. There, there is that. Yeah. So there's like consistency. Although I think it's got, they've gotten better in a lot of cases because they talk about issues Nicole, of Nicole, they're expression. not media companies. They're platforms <laughs> that deserve the immunity. <laughs> I've sat with them. We're totally going to yeah. get to that, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think a lot of the, the work that I was doing at the beginning was helping those companies appreciate what it means to be a message board, and it's not just software, mm-hmm. right? It has responsibilities to the people who are on it and to the people who read it. And so th- that was a lot of the first part of my work. But I missed, I-, I think I recognized as a lawyer, and especially when you're the outside lawyer, that you don't get to have say on the design of the product. Mm-hmm. You don't get to have say about, like, what is the business responsibility around mm-hmm. this product? And that you get by being in-house. That That's right. how you get right. to the table. So. Yeah. Um, I had an opportunity to go to Google mm-hmm. in 2004. Small. Still yeah. small. Yeah. It was like 1,100 people, yeah. I think, when mm-hmm. I joined. They hired me as senior compliance counsel, which mm-hmm. we immediately changed to, right. like, product counsel mm-hmm. um, because nobody invites the compliance guy to Yeah, me, yeah. Right? compliant. <laughs> but if, you're, if your job is styled as, like, I'm here to help you get your product out the door, mm-hmm. then, then and you're in the meetings. legal to do so. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you worked on what? Talk, talk about it. Um, I was responsible for the launch of all of our products globally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in 2004, it was just search. But after the IPO, it very quickly became much, much more than search, mm-hmm. right? Street View was a big thing. You, the acquisition of YouTube, the acquisition of DoubleClick, mm-hmm. all of those areas that, that Google started to grow in um, over the next seven and a half years mm-hmm. were, were the things I was involved in. I grew up a team of product counsel um, with my good friend Alex McGillivray, mm-hmm. uh, and they went on to do amazing things. And then some of my responsibilities expanded. So I had responsibility for, at various times, litigation, patent, trademark, copyright, privacy, mm-hmm. and, and broad le- regulatory type Which stuff. grew and grew and grew Which kept growing. Right. <laughs> right. Which was because Google moved into more and more things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and what was the thinking at the time about lawyers? Like, they just wanted to make and not think, if I recall. Um, but they did have lawyers around all the They did have lawyers. And yeah. I have to say, like, I think my experience was, like, they, the lawyers who were there at the time, mm-hmm. Colpreet Rana, David Drummond, Alex mm-hmm. McGillivray, Miriam Rivera, we were all really good at finding the place where we could add value right. and be valued by the client, which right. is the thing that you have to do. Like, you mm-hmm. can't be the lawyer that says no all the time. Mm-hmm. You have to figure out a way, not this way, mm-hmm. but what if we designed it a different way? Right. And I think that, that ma- that's the part that made it the most fun, which mm-hmm. is like, how do you 
figure out how to achieve the business and the product ends mm-hmm. while being legally compliant. Right, right, right. And but you never got called a compliant anything after that. Right? <laughs> so you so you were there for how long? Seven and a half years. Seven and a half years, um, which was this big go go days really was, for Google. Yeah, for I mean it was um, all of our big, big products. It was in and out of mm-hmm. China. Mm-hmm. It was. Lots of new possible business areas that we then closed down. We had, yeah. I don't remember, like Orkut, the yeah. social network. Yes, I, Orkut. I know Orkut. I just ran into him recently. Yeah. So, like, right. still bitter that he's not Facebook. Yeah. Um, yeah. So big in Brazil. I'll never forget. It was Larry or Sergey. He's like, it's big in Brazil, and I'm like, right. So what? It was like, like, but the rest of the world, not so much. Huge like, in Brazil, India, yeah. and Iran. Right. Right. And I like, know. and no one in the United yeah, States. They kept saying big in Brazil. I'm like, you keep going with Brazil. I'm sure you'll somehow catch Facebook with that. I'll never forget that big in Brazil. So you then went to Twitter then. After. So I took a year and a half off to hang out with my kids mm-hmm. uh, and my family, and then um, at the end, like, what, about, what around got a, you out. What did, why did you leave? Part of it was it, I was ready and I had a team that was ready to take on the responsibility. A lot of it was, um, I don't know that I've ever said this to, to people who were not just friends. My youngest daughter one Christmas said to me, I was like, what do you want for Christmas? And she said, more time with you. Oh, wow. And there's only oh. one answer to that. Right? Oh, I... <laughs> it's like every working mom's yeah. nightmare. Oh, but, no, but... <laughs> not that. Uh, but I was able to do it. Yeah. Um, and. Totally enjoyed the year and a half. And after a year and a half, my daughters were literally like, what did you do all day? Yeah, right. And I was yeah. like, all right, so it's time for yeah. me to go back to work. So I went back. I went to um, Twitter to work yeah, so with So how did you get there? What was the— Alex McGillivray was yeah, the general was counsel, and he and I had worked at, at Google together, and it was mm-hmm. a pleasure to work with him again. Um, and it was the job was to build up their product counsel team. Right. And so I was there, but I was there for literally, I think, six months before I got a call from the White House mm-hmm. uh, to join the Obama administration as the deputy CTO. And why did you want to do that? You know, I think— Policy, right? Part of it, and and part of it, super personal. So they had actually caught me right after my grandfather had passed, mm-hmm. and he had instilled in us the sense that like you have every right to be here, mm-hmm. and you have a right to participate in your community and your government, and if you get the opportunity, it's a responsibility mm-hmm. and your privilege to do so. And and knowing that. When the call came in from the White House, there's no way that I can't walk that walk, right? right? And so the opportunity to serve, and and candidly, and, and I don't know if you know Todd Parkwell, mm-hmm. yes, he's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the vision that he had for bringing all of government services up to another level mm-hmm. to be able to participate at, at such a high impact, that was that was huge and, and right. it wasn't something that And you that focused on down. what there? So my portfolio was innovation, internet, and privacy policy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of big. Huge. And, like, when when you go into government, they tell you, like— Fix the government. (laughs) Don't break the Internet. They tell you, like, focus on three things. Like, you got to have three priorities because every day is an emergency and you're Mm going to get distracted if you don't. So going in in, like, April, I was, like, getting ready to move, and I was like, where are the kids going to go to school? And I was like, okay, so I'll do maybe Internet governance and free expression, which is Mm -hmm. sort of where my passions lie, and maybe I'll do some privacy. And we were planning to move in July of that that summer, and, and— June 9th, mm-hmm. if you remember, is when the Edward Snowden disclosures yeah. started. Yeah. And they were like, how soon are you getting here? Right. <laughs> so I started the next week. Right. And honestly, like the first half of the time I was there was spent on privacy, surveillance issues. And and most importantly, I think the, the work that I'm most proud of was public policy implications of big data. Right. Right. Which has been 
the story ever since. Yeah. And also, you know, it was interesting. I was writing a column today for the New York Times that I write for, and one of the things that I left out was the the damage that the Snowden thing did to the relationship between the government and Silicon Valley, which yeah. had been relatively cooperative until then, and then it was broken rather. I think I think that's right. I think, like like the notion that I would go and talk about internet governance or free expression mm-hmm. at a time when like mm-hmm. the Snowden disclosures happened, yeah. like that was done. They, like you weren't going to talk about you. anything you've been else. Spying on exactly, us, and, which I think was. Uh, you know, which that which the government assisted the government, the companies were cooperative with. They said they were not. It just went on. It just seems like a lot of what ha- would happen in the Russia thing, you can draw a very bright line, is that they were not cooperating in the way they used to. Yeah. In the way they used to, which is interesting. But that's a, that's a topic for another day. We, we may get into that. So you did that. And w- what was the experience like? Do you, you're in the middle of that. That's all there is. That was yeah. all there was. Yeah. No, right. it was, it's all-consuming. It was fascinating. Right. Um, like, there's no other experience like it I would. What did you take away from it? The most important lesson and the one that I I continue to try and work on is I think that we have not done a good job of filling the the ranks in government and in the public sector with yes. technologically capable, savvy people. Or they're in the they're in a backseat position. Exactly. Like, in like the help. They think that like, like the you're there to fix the email right. servers, right? right? As opposed to like thinking about forward thinking policy mm-hmm. and the the ramifications of what it means to use all this technology in our world. And I think we are doing ourselves a disservice mm-hmm. by not doing that. I think that there are there are big and small things that I've been talking with people about, like what should be the tech agenda for social impact. Mm-hmm. Part of it is government. Part of it is like just make shit work, mm-hmm. right? Right, 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 <laughs> like, right. Like if you can order a chocolate cake on yeah. Amazon and have yeah. it delivered that yeah. day, then you ought to be able to get your social security benefits just as easily, right? right? So Absolutely. like there, there's that. And then there's the what the, the, the broader vision, which is like, what's our moonshot, mm-hmm. knowing what all of our capabilities are? How mm-hmm. do we how do we power the, the next? Why is that from your experience in government? I have some thoughts about it, but I mean that, that they just don't think about it. They don't, they're not technologically literate people for many of the people that go into it. And they're, they operate in a very old system that resists that kind of change. And also they're, they're fearful of it and wary. Well, because they don't understand it very right. well. Right. So there's some wariness. I, I think that's going to change over time. I think that the the growing ranks of those at the staff level and at the congressional level are much more savvy mm-hmm. than they used to be. They, If you even just look at not all the questions in congressional testimony right. are great, but they're way better than they were five okay. years ago. Okay, you say so. <laughs> I was literally like, like, I was like they're reading the Wikipedia TV page. Yeah. Yes, but like they're way better than they once were, and mm-hmm. I think we're getting better at educating them. I think that you know we still face a lot of competition. If you're coming out of school with a CS degree, are you going to a private company or are you going into the public sector? Right, you're not and, going. To. And there's a money thing. No, yeah, right, right. And we haven't instilled in people the sense that they should serve. Right, like, for that a time. this is our government, right. and it's only as good as we are. Right, right, and they should serve. So you were there for a couple of years and uh-huh. then came back. Yeah. So what have you been doing since? See, I know you're going to ask me that, and I wish I had a really crisp Driving answer. your daughter's crazy. <laughs> I know, exactly. Um, Mom, please leave. Are they teenagers now? Mom, they are. They are leave. both in yeah. high school. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. My son left the other day, and I haven't seen him since. <laughs> like, he was like, bye, Mom. Like, I'm like, where'd you go? And it's an amazing for time. Yeah. I love them both dearly, yeah. and it's an yeah. amazing time. So, yeah, so part of it is is being home. Part of it is I consult for some companies. Mm-hmm. I do some work with nonprofits like mm-hmm. um, Mozilla Foundation, which is doing a lot of work mm-hmm. on the area of Internet health. Right. Witness, which is a human rights organization that mm-hmm. was founded like 25 years ago by uh, Peter Gabriel to do 
it focuses on training people to do video documentation of human rights abuse. Mm-hmm. And in this era of everybody has a camera. Right. Right. And you can use this data in so many new ways. Just thinking forward thinking about that has been a real joy to work with them. Some of it is literally still supporting folks who are in government mm-hmm. and, and giving them some right. guidance and trying to get more people into their ranks. Mm-hmm. Right. And then and, and working on other things. So what was really interesting is Nicole sent me a whole list of things to talk about when she was here. She thought I'd prepare for these shows, but I don't. I'm like, my whole like, life is give preparation. Me, give me something to focus on, No, I on, don't. That's my, that's my thing. I don't help people. Someone on the Twitter did, was like, you, what do you prep these people? I'm like, I don't prep anybody. I'll talk to I will, I will vouch for yes, you will vouch that. for it. So one of the th- in the next section, I do want to talk about a lot of things. You brought up a lot of things. What's going on what's going, right now, tomorrow, is there's going to be hearings. This will mm-hmm. appear after that. Um, and more hearings for tech things. I love to talk about that content moderation, Russian interference, tech clash, diversity in tech, uh, tech in the social sector and stuff like that, which we need to talk about when we get back. But right now we're here with Nicole Wong, the former deputy CTO of the United States. She's also worked for Google and Twitter in some very important positions. We're going to talk about all those issues and more when we return. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This week on The Gray Area. Professor Diana Posulka and I tackle one of life's biggest questions. Are we alone in the universe? What would it take for you to step off the agnostic ledge and say, yeah, aliens are real? Is it a spacecraft landing on the White House lawn? Well, something that was anomalous in 1952 did fly over the White House. And that's one of those cases that is still weird. (laughs) That's This Week on the Gray Area, available wherever you get your podcasts. We're here with Nicole Wong, the former deputy CTO of the United States. She's also been a very big executive and important person in formulating a lot of legal issues around tech companies. And there's so many topics we have to talk about, Nicole. I think we're going to start with this, what's going on right now in Congress. I I want to get to the wacky stuff at the end, the content moderation, things like that. But let's talk about the Russia stuff, because that's what Cheryl and... Jack are there to talk about, and they're going to talk to a chair from Google, some Google chair. Why didn't Google just drag Larry or Sundar there? Yeah. I I don't know. I because like, I don't think I don't have any reason to believe they have something to hide. No, I know. Uh, yeah, why? So, so I can I, they I, just like put them on one of the Google <laughs> rockets? And, I, uh, yeah, and Google I time know, right? whatever the, the machine they the transporter teleportation teleportation <laughs> machine they've got in the back there and just move them on over. Yeah, not I Larry because you got to get him out of cold storage for a while and, and heat him up and stuff like that. But you don't have to say Sundar. anything. Yeah, Sundar. You know, so, so they're going there, not Google, but they did. Kent did uh, some. Oh, did he say testimony? testimony? I haven't seen They don't want it. They don't care. I don't think Warner's like, screw you. Like, you either show up or you don't. And they're going to have a wooden chair there, apparently. That's what they tell me. So talk about the implications of this. These hearings, I think, are actually more important because they're actually, they're from, they're serious politicians who actually know a few things about things. Or I, I think that's true. and But I think it's important to think about, like, what are hearings good for and what are they not good right. for? And I've done, like, five, mm-hmm. right? So hearings are super good for putting executives or companies' feet to the fire, yes. right? And that's edu- always a good thing. It's always good. And educating 
the policymakers and their mm-hmm. staff, mm-hmm. as well as the public, right. about a thing. Look at right? this. And so, like, educating, like, Russian disinformation campaigns, <laughs> that's good for all of us. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's mm-hmm. an important reason yes. to have them there. Um, it's good for, again, like, holding them to a schedule. So my assumption is if Jack and Cheryl are showing up, they have some good news to report, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they've made progress, progress. since the last um, right. hearing that so they So what they want to do is say, here's what we did wrong and here's what we're doing and to fix it. And here's what we've done to fix it. And right. that's, that's also, like, that's a really good... Knowing that they'll be held accountable, that's a good function of a congressional hearing. Mm-hmm. What I think it sometimes get used as is a platform for assigning blame, mm-hmm. a platform for a political grandstanding. Mm-hmm. That's unuseful. And anyone who thinks someone's going to go in there like, we found the silver bullet, mm-hmm. that's so not going to happen because mm-hmm. this problem is so complex mm-hmm. and so beyond just what the tech companies can do, mm-hmm. right? Like, any expectation that that's going to happen, we should kill that part now, right, right? Right. But to me, optimal results would be that you find some agreement about what's the easy stuff, mm-hmm. Alex Jones, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Find the easy stuff and decide we have agreement on how we're going to handle that easy mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. whether it's by legislation or something else. And then lean into the hard questions because there's lots of hard questions and figure out like what can we make progress on even Mm -hmm. if imperfect what can we not that this is not a tech company solution it's a different solution now this has been a relatively new thing for tech now jerry yang did go and get his head handed to him during that called a moral moral pygmy if you recall i do uh i remember saying don't go (laughs) i'm gonna do something (laughs) bad to you there and he's like like, no (laughs) just there's no winning on this one you really did screw it things going on there this was in china but there it's been very little i think mark was the first really big uh, correct ceo level yeah ceo level big names because most of it has been i think jerry yang was the last one i can remember that was what else did you I don't know. I, I got sent out a lot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? but not. But yeah, not or, that you're or not you, big, but no, you know what I mean. No, but totally. You like you send your vice president of public policy, or you right. send your head of comms, or right. Head of product, so the, Mark whatever. was the first big one. How yeah. do you assess that encounter? I think it's just the beginning. This is going to go. I was like, strap on your wooden chair. That he's going to have to do it many all more of times. Them, all of them on everything. And by the way, it's not just yeah Russia. It's going to go to AI. It's going to go to yeah IoT. It's going to go to a- everything. Everything. Oh, yeah, for sure. But whether it'll be a CEO or not, I think, is up for debate. And, yeah. and here's the thing is, like, you don't create solutions in a hearing. No, you don't. Right? And right. so all the hard work and all the commit—you you can use the hearing to get a commitment mm-hmm. that something will be done, but you right. can't actually devise the My solution. point being is that these companies have operated largely unfettered yeah. for a long, long time. And that's—I mean, they would say not, but I, I don't know. I think if you were a broadcast company or, any, or a media company, you'd be like, hey, get on the, get on the legal— Right. train that we've been on for years. So how did you assess the Mark hearings? How I thought he did? He, I thought he did well only because they were terrible. That's really pretty much... Certainly first day. Low bar. Yeah. He did worse second day and their questions were better second yes, day. Yes, yeah, yeah, for some right? reason in the house. Yeah. Yes, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, 10 hours in that seat, that mm-hmm. sucks for anybody, yeah, right? Yeah. So I, I thought he did fine. Mm-hmm. And I thought the thing that I think really kept sort of bothering me during that mm-hmm. was I think on the second day and maybe it was because he was a little bit worn down mm-hmm. he kept referring to AI as the solution like mm-hmm. oh we're going to start handling this using yeah. more AI yeah. and this notion that like we can resolve content and disinformation problems just by throwing some AI about it AI yeah. can help but it's not going to yeah. solve the problem yeah. and I, I think that you, if you were not well informed about how AI or just machine learning works mm-hmm. 
you thought that was supposed to be a silver bullet, and it's not. It's not, absolutely. No. And absolutely. it could go really wrong, right? right? Like, if we do it poorly, yeah. we will replicate all the mistakes we're currently absolutely. making. <laughs> My issues with them were they, the, the water under bridge. Let's put the water under bridge and let's focus on solutions. I'm like, let's reflect on the problems. Yeah. Like, I know you say, talk that about blame, but I think there's something very good in thinking about why you went wrong. Yeah. Although, like, I, I also remember at the beginning of— uh, Mark, I think, said, we accept responsibility for— We have a broader responsibility. Yeah, but there was also, like, it was as if he accepted the outcomes of elections, both here and in Europe, Mm -hmm. as, like, Facebook had—that was Facebook's issue. And it's not. Like, let's not—you and I may end up disagreeing about this. Like, the way way this election turned out is not because of tech or Russian disinformation. Mm -hmm. We had 63 million people Mm -hmm. vote for a man Mm -hmm. who was— Blatantly misogynist, mm-hmm. right. racist, Agreed. Agreed. anti-Semitic, right? right? Intolerant, right? Like yeah. all of those things. And he wasn't hiding it from us. Right. And 63 million people didn't find that disqualifying. Right. Absolutely. So, like, to I agree me, with you. I just literally if, made that argument. I actually agree with you. <laughs> uh, someone was like, you, we were talking about talking to Bannon. I'm like, Bannon has got him elected. Like, that's what you need to focus. Like, no amount of, of amplification by the media will make it right. any worse or less as he did it, which is interesting. But I see why people are offended by him, obviously. But one of the things that I thought was interesting, though, even though 63 million people did, it's where those edge cases where things yeah. could have shifted differently. And we'll, I think we will never thousand. know that. I think that's the problem is there is no way to trace it anymore. Yeah. There's no way to find out. It's almost like an episode of Scandal. It's like you're never going to figure it out. Yeah. And so I think that will haunt this entire election process because it's never going to be known if there was 50 ads that changed everything right. or not. Right. Or not. Where That could have gone. Or you could also blame it on six things Hillary Clinton said that could have shifted it, too. The deplorables thing didn't work very or well. Or how there. it echoed into the media. Right. And all exactly. This, right? There's like a or was it the New York Times writing this or was it James Comey? Right. There's all kinds of ways. But there's definitely a place for... Facebook could have been one of the shifts. Absolutely. Right. I, I, I think that's absolutely true. And I think, like, figuring out how to—what is tech's role, mm-hmm. right, for the coming election? Especially, we're less than 100 days out now, right? right. So, like, what is the role? That's super important. But I just didn't want to lose sight of, like— No, I get that. But I do think the three problem. things for them are, one, clean up the fake accounts, which mm-hmm. they let grow rampant because they want to growth, growth, growth. Fake accounts and anonymous accounts, like, that we can't track in any way. Two is clean up transparency and political ads. Mm-hmm. They just didn't do that. They just didn't do their yeah. job. That's it. And it sh- they should be—they're tra- transparent everywhere else. They should be transparent there. And the last thing is the fake news, the allowance. Again, the, the, the sloppy management of fake news. Yeah, yeah. And I think in that first category, I don't know if you were including, like, the use of bots. Mm-hmm. Like, I think these— companies ought to be labeling bots. Mm-hmm. Like, I should know if I'm interacting with a human or that's not right. a human. And, right. and I think that that's not just like a bot, but like a robot. Right. Because like, I think Google did like a demo of its new voice, mm-hmm. like human voice. Yeah, it was, it was super convincing and eerie. Mm-hmm. We should know right. that we're not interacting with a human being because like as we go forward and as this human-like AI becomes more and more prevalent, there ought to be a a clear understanding of right. when I'm dealing with a human and when I'm not, when I have to care right. about the response. But that's called anticipation. You're anticipating. Yes. <laughs> Let me just say, tech companies did not anticipate that's any right. of this stuff, and they didn't anticipate, and they were sloppy. Those two things are enough to like fix that, please, which is interesting. So these hearings, what what do you expect to come out of them? Like, because there, there's one in October about antitrust. There's one later in the afternoon tomorrow, which will already have been news, with Jack Dorsey by himself around content moderation. Right. So let's talk about that one. And then I want to know what to expect, actually. Content moderation, which is a nice way of saying censorship or possibly not or First Amendment. Yeah. You're a First Amendment lawyer. How do you look at this incredibly fraught 
situation. Super complicated. Mm-hmm. No silver bullet. None. And I think uh, I'm somewhat frustrated by the level of conversation in each of the countries that is trying to wrestle with it because mm-hmm. they are all dealing with it as if it were not global. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so... To explain that. Facebook's in this really awkward position where it's trying to have a global platform and one set of rules imposed consistently. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is that, like, every understanding of content is incredibly nuanced from a perspective of, like, what is it it is in the culture, what it is in the political system, how the legal environment handles Mm -hmm. a content problem. Mm -hmm. And so I know what they're trying to do, and I understand that that's the only way to scale it. Mm -hmm. I just think it's really hard. And and I will say that as someone who gets to say that in hindsight because I'm not that decider anymore. Mm -hmm. And in the days when I did it, it was— Millions, not billions of users, right? Mm-hmm. It was hundreds of, uh, I don't remember, it was like in the tens or scores of hours per minute on YouTube, not in the hundreds of hours of, right. of, of content on YouTube. And so I actually had the time mm-hmm. to say my folks would level up something for me to see mm-hmm. and I would get a day, mm-hmm. right, to sort of think about it and get some more information about, like, well, what, what does this mean in India, mm-hmm. right? What are the ramifications? And to touch base with people in India mm-hmm. to say, like, should I do this or that? They appear not to have that latitude anymore. Right. And, and what, what I'm hearing is that they have, like, four or five seconds per piece of controversial content to make a decision. Right, right. You are going to get so many mistakes. Yeah. Doing that, it's and the I think life they chose, it is the life they chose, and the billions they accepted. So the, consi- the question is like, do we want to slow that down? Yeah, is this yeah. the moment where like we have kind of like a slow food movement for the internet, mm-hmm. and oh, we just slow everything down? Yeah. So and how I, does that work? Well, so here's I, I was thinking about, and I'm not sure I'm going to directly mm-hmm. answer that question, but like when I first started at Google. Um, I remember having conversations around the pillars of design for search. I don't think they called it exactly that, but Mm -hmm. it it was like the principles on which you design search. Mm -hmm. And it might have been Matt Cutts that said, like, there's comprehensiveness. We want all the information we can get. Mm -hmm. There's relevance, meaning we deliver the right response when when someone asks a question. And speed. Those Mm -hmm. were the three pillars of search. And then, like, in the mid-2000s, when social networks and behavioral advertising came into play, there was this change in the principles that we just weren't as concerned, I think, about search anymore. And instead, we were focusing on this other part of the platform. And the the dynamics were around personalization, mm-hmm. which is not relevance, right? It's right. not it's what what's, you what, not what meets your answers, your question, but like what's more stuff that you like. Mm-hmm. Personalization, engagement, mm-hmm. what keeps you here, right. which Today, we now know very clearly it's, it's the, most, the most outrageous thing you can find right. and speed, right. right? So speed's still there, but the first two have changed. And that has, I think, propelled You're this absolutely right. crazy environment that we're in now. So what if we change the pillars again? What mm-hmm. if now everything that we've learned in the last two years, we say, that's not the Internet we want to live with. Mm-hmm. And so this is just personal for me. Like, mm-hmm. what if the pillars were um, accuracy, authenticity, and context? Mm-hmm. Like, and maybe that slows it down, mm-hmm. right? So maybe um, that means that things like Black Lives Matter or Tahir Square have a little bit more trouble getting off the ground quickly, mm-hmm. right? Maybe the Ferguson thing, you don't hear about that as fast as mm-hmm. you do now and mm-hmm. as, as quickly among Which your Some would groups, say is a terrible thing. Right? So some things are going to—there's going to be cost to, like, mm-hmm. refocusing those principles, but is maybe that's a different world that we actually ought to be mm-hmm. trying to build. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you think they're thinking about it like that? I have no idea. Yeah. I hope they are. Yeah, I don't think they are. Unfortunately, <laughs> I think they're they've got their hair on fire. Is what the Englings put out the hair, right? I mean, what do you make of the, the like Jack will be in front of uh, the House members who will do- only talk about diamond and silk and everything like being pushed down. And Laura Ingram talked about nationalizing Google and face. I know. Yeah, I know you're rolling your eyes. Yeah. I'm rolling my eyes too. But these are being talked about. Yeah. Seri- by seri- people who have serious impact on potential people who could have serious impact. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not taking them. I'm not just going to roll my eyes. I'm troubled by this. I'm totally troubled. And here's here's what I... just Google and Facebook do not discriminate like that. I just, no. They just don't. Totally not. Uh, pay drink, right? Yeah, From what exactly. I can understand. Right, it's, all right. Like, it, it, it's algorithmically based and it is not mm-hmm. about, like, hey, I like this political decision better than that political right. decision. Like, no one's got time. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. <laughs> so how do you get rid of that if you're the tech companies, besides just saying it over and over again, you're an you can, without saying you're an idiot, stop yeah, saying that? Yeah, I don't know. And in this environment, and because they are put on their back foot, I think it's going to be super hard. And what that might mean is that folks like me or you or others outside of mm-hmm. that environment say like, hey, that's not actually the thing right. that we think is happening, or nor are we worried about that. Do you feel there's an actual risk when you have Orrin Hatch all of a sudden who didn't talk about antitrust, is talking about antitrust, or maybe, or, or the president tweeting that Google's trying to yeah. skew his search results? I do worry about it, but I also think that we have to have an honest conversation about what they are looking for, right? Mm-hmm. So some of the solutions that I see get bandied about by folks who are not as sophisticated but understanding mm-hmm. what's happening. Like, well, there should only be verified users on these systems, mm-hmm. right? Or we should have these really blunt instruments and we just don't allow that type of content at mm-hmm. all. Verified users, bl- large blunt instruments of censorship, those are authoritarian government tools, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And right. so at some point, both we and these companies are going to need to stand up and say, like, the things you are asking us to build and service for this democracy mm-hmm. are tools that will be used in China, right. in Russia, mm-hmm. in Turkey, in right. Saudi Arabia, right. right? Like, you appreciate the fact that we are the global platform right. and right. that what we build, everybody will have the right to demand. Right. We'll get to Google in China in a minute. <laughs> but, <laughs> because, be careful there. Um, but, but so when, when the Alex Jones thing came about, what did yeah. you think? You know I thought they should remove him. Yeah. I, like, I, I didn't— They removed under, other people. Like, how many strikes do you have to have? Yeah. yeah. Right. Before you get to it. I, it felt to me like they had to update their policies to meet the level of, mm-hmm. of vitriol he was, he was propagating on the mm-hmm. process. How would you have dealt with it as a lawyer? They dragged their feet for a while, then all yeah. of a sudden all flipped. Yeah. I think it is hard. Here's here's what I think they were struggling. Actually, I think they were struggling. I think they were struggling. And and, and And they were like, those damn (laughs) Apple people did it before us. I think think part of it is like this notion of like, how do I think about being responsible for understanding stuff happening off my platform? Mm -hmm. Like, how do I incorporate that into a policy? Because again, like we're talking about a scale issue Mm -hmm. and... I may have, in the old days, I feel like I had to be like in a rocker <laughs> yeah. with a cigar or something. But like, like in, in the old days, yeah, maybe I had a day to think about that, but they don't. And right. so how do you do the diligence of understanding the off-the-site ramifications or, mm-hmm. or, of what's happening in, or incorporated what into your policy? What would you have done with Alex Jones if that was... I probably would have done the research to figure it out. And, and then? And then made, made a call. But like, I also think like I probably made inconsistent bad decisions. Mm-hmm. While I was there, that's right. like that. Right. So your threat what is that you will make your an Alex Jones call, knowing what you know. I probably would have removed him earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I think so. Yeah, because it just got worse and worse. And then yeah. you can put... Until so you talk about this, you. this documentary called The Cleaners. Explain that. And then oh, in the next yeah. section, we're going to talk about tech clash and diversity. There's a, there's a new documentary mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, by two uh, directors from Germany mm-hmm. who wanted to explore... Ausgezeichnet. Um, yeah. <laughs> they wanted to explore, like, what is this content moderation um, industry? And it, and it was born of, I think, research done by a professor down at UCLA named Sarah Robertson. Mm-hmm. So she is the one who uncovered, like, there are thousands of work contract workers in the Philippines mm-hmm. cleaning up all of these social media right. platforms, yeah. right? And making calls that, like, mm-hmm. if we were here in the United States, we might not quite make the same call. Right. Um, so this uh, documentary, they actually go back and interview a bunch mm-hmm. of the contractors about what they understand to be the rules, mm-hmm. the, the decisions they've had to uh, mm-hmm. make on terrorist content, child pornography, self-harm content, all of this stuff. And it's fascinating to hear from the contractor's perspective what they think their obligations are. And what do they think? They are trying really hard to follow the rules. They have seconds to mm-hmm. make these decisions on thousands of pieces of content in in an hour, right? And they... Um, the interesting overlay to me was like, these are, this is a very Catholic country. Mm-hmm. They bring a lot of their person and mm-hmm. their identity to work with them mm-hmm. about making decisions about wow. this content. And wow. it's, so, so when you think about the complexity of these takedowns, right, it is actually really hard to create rules that when an American user posts something that's visible in Turkey and reviewed by a Filipino contract worker, oh, like, what is that, right? Like, like who, who's winning in okay, that Okay, we scenario? should just shut down Facebook. That's really <laughs> right? Like, come on, Twitter. Let's just do that. It's really, really hard. Let's just, like, go back. I had Jaron Lanier in, and he was like, there's never been a human experiment on this level yeah. of people talking to each yeah. other in this fashion. Yeah. But when you think about the idea of the cleaners is a really interesting one because it's sort of that back room like, you don't want to see how it's made. Right. You know, my son just got a job, and he's a chef, and he's young, but he cooks, and he's in a restaurant, and he's like, Mommy, I don't want to eat there. <laughs> he goes, you don't eat <laughs> any restaurants. Made, no, he's like, measure. I was going to talk about it. It was over a small, like, pickle incident, but it wasn't that bad. I was like, oh, I'd eat there. It's no problem. But it sort of was like when you see how things get made, it's right. really— and, and they are trying to rely on AI when they don't even know what that means. Yeah, I think, and, and I know. think getting that right is going to be so important. Right. I think um, So two thoughts on that. One is— when you understand the complexity of this, I think that it is super hard to like hold the tech companies fully responsible and, and, and insist that they make no mistakes, which I feel like some of the yeah. rhetoric is definitely like yeah. you never get to make a mistake about that piece of content. And right. they, that paralyzes a company mm-hmm. that's sure. trying to do the right yeah, thing. Yeah, they're still back on that that my line, that mass, the Vietnamese yeah, exactly. picture, the little girl running. Exactly. And so, the, so that's one thought out of that. The, the second is on the AI piece, which is I do worry, and this might just be rhetorical, I worry about leaders who are saying, we're going to have AI fix that. And they may be just be like, as protection, this is my flak jacket. (laughs) The machines will fix it. My experience is that you need to see The content, you right. need to make the moral call mm-hmm. on the Rohingyas right. or the child porn That's or right. whatever. Because if you don't, you have delegated your morality to a machine, mm-hmm. and that is wrong. That is that a we really should not do fantastic that. point, Nicole. Do you think that they get this now? Because I think they don't want to be seen as media companies. They don't. They want to keep that immunity. You, that's a law. They don't get. They're not held responsible for it. So it makes you lazy and sloppy. Yeah. I so I think they're struggling in the sense that like I don't. I don't think that they want to abrogate all of their responsibility, but they don't actually want to take on all of the baggage that comes with being a media company. Is that just too bad now? Will they lose that immunity, do you think? 
I think, I think they it, they, it's starting like oh, the yeah. SESTA FOSTA thing, right? Yeah, that, like, that was the recent thing people around are um, prostitution, prostitution and, and sex trafficking. Right. I, I think that there are people are going to start chipping away at it, right? Mm-hmm. I think you were interviewing. Was it Warner? Warner, yeah. yeah. Uh, right, right. About like Wyden. Or Wyden. It was Ron yeah. Wyden. Um, yeah. Thinking about like redoing Section 230 about right. this immunity. So I think that, that that's certainly a conversation that's happening and has been happening for years. Mm-hmm. I feel like the current designations we give to these companies don't fit. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we need to find a different one. Yep. Yep. Right? It may not be media, but it, it is might, some might kind be, of media. But it's not but it's still social just media. platform, right? right. It's not if, no. if they were under the impression that they're just a dumb pipe, that's not it. So, yeah. like, somehow we need to re-jigger yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. We're here having a fascinating discussion with Nicole Wong. She was the deputy CTO of America, but she also worked at Google and Twitter in legal positions, but much more than that. When we get back, we're going to talk about a bunch of issues like tech lash, diversity in tech, and tech and the social sector. We're here with Nicole Wong having a riveting discussion. I'm having one. I'm very happy about it, about some issues around tech, which are big. Nicole has worked as a lawyer, but more than that, at uh, tech companies like Google and Twitter. Uh, And she's also worked for the federal government trying to figure out policy issues. Let's talk a little bit about this thing you called a tech lash. You wrote this, a note to me, tech lash and tech's ethical issues. We were just talking about this. These are ethical issues that that I don't think they want to take responsibility for or never understood. I wrote a column, I think, saying, Mark never took a humanities course, so perhaps he should have taken one or two. A little Kierkegaard might have done him a little good. Um, but, you know, you have to get, or, or a little, I don't know, you know, Eli Weisel, you know, all kinds of things. And he right. was the one that brought up Holocaust deniers and walked right into a bad bunch of quotes about it. How do you look at this tech Where is it going from your perspective? It's easy because not just that, but addiction about automation, robotics, yeah. like yeah. it goes on and on and on. Yeah. It was funny. I was, I was doing a talk for women in STEM recently. And mm-hmm. I was like, I had to do this like, okay, I have a little bit of imposter syndrome because I'm here as like a former deputy CTO. Mm-hmm. But in fact, I have like every liberal arts card stacked against me. I'm an American studies major with a minor in English and a poetry fellowship, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't cover any of those bases. Yeah. But but maybe that's actually what tech needs right mm-hmm. now is yeah. like we need more sociologists and right. ethicists right. coming into the tech sector right. to talk about the broader implications of how tech gets used. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that we're starting to see that. So like a group that I'm on the advisory board for called AI Now, which mm-hmm. is run by Kate Crawford and Meredith Whitaker out in New York. And they are all about what are the social implications of mm-hmm. AI. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we need more of that conversation. Dana Boyd's Data and Society, Obviously. likewise, having these really interesting, like hardcore research on the implications for humans mm-hmm. when we use these technologies. Right. That I think is super important. And that I think will help turn the cultures in some of these tech companies around if they're smart enough to grasp Are the leaders, uh, you've been close to these leaders, are they amenable to it? I think they are, but I don't think they know what that role looks like, mm-hmm. right? Like, right. What do you, where do you put an Well, they never liked the non-tech people, Yeah, really. I mean, they pretend to. <laughs> they tolerate them. I know. So I got tolerated at a lot yeah. of meetings. Yeah. Um, but but I think... Uh, no again. <laughs> I think that they know they're missing something, mm-hmm. right? All the smart ones know they're missing something. And so I think they are looking to figure out how to put that into the system, but it is a system that's built on very straightforward, fast, iterative development that doesn't necessarily do a lot of stop and think about the human aspects of it. Mm -hmm. Nor could I imagine a world right now, knowing how a lot of products get launched, 
that you would say, hey, we shouldn't do that until we understand the ethical ramifications. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, I just don't see holding a launch for that one. Yeah, because you wouldn't do a lot of things, <laughs> would you? Yeah. yeah. So, so, right, like, so I think, you know, if we want our, our companies here to be super innovative and right. productive. Because they're not doing that over in China. Exactly. Sure, right? right? And I, That's their argument China's going to sweep the table with Right, us. exactly. That's their argument now, right? Like, I, when I had Mark in the podcast, he's like, well, it's, you know, if I get hindered, what about China? I'm like, what? Like, that's my choice is G or you. Like, I don't feel like that's the choice I need to have to make. But, but I do think, like, thinking through, yeah. like, how do we get ahead of the standard setting that China will do otherwise because they right. may not be hampered right. in Talk the about that way. sweep the table. So AI is actually the place where I'm, I'm like, thinking about this. Right. Right. To develop— and surveillance and robotics and facial Right. To develop really strong AI, you need a lot of data. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have an authoritarian government that says, hey, we're now all doing facial recognition, mm-hmm. you suddenly have a lot of data. Right. And, and he, if you're doing in, in China. Right. Which, if you're in the United States or Europe or whatever, you have to get consent. That consent can be withdrawn. Like, all kinds of hurdles to mm-hmm. collecting the data, which means we'll be slower. Mm-hmm. I don't have an issue with that, except mm-hmm. for the fact that, like— China has the ability to deploy a technology that will simply be the dominant technology if they get there first, mm-hmm. right? Or could be. And it, what does that technology look like? Whatever. It tells you everything. Right? Exactly. Right? right. Like this whole, what is it they're doing? Social, your social currency or something mm-hmm. like that based on your facial recognition? Yeah. Um, like, it was a Black Mirror episode, if you recall. <laughs> like, it's terrifying, right? Yeah. And yeah. so the question is like, well... How are we weighing in on that? Mm-hmm. And and can we weigh in if our technology can't meet theirs? Right, right. So what do we do? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like, part of me says, well, what if— It means that all of the countries who are doing this work need to get together and say, mm-hmm. like, this is acceptable use. Right. And China's going to be the so outlier. a cyber doctrine. Yeah. What can be used— you know, Warner talked about this in my interview. He said there's, there's a cyber doctrine over what we can do and what we can't do, mm-hmm. and if people violate it, we will right. use our tools to stop it. Right. Which right. means we, we need to start using more of our global forums, mm-hmm. right, to, to sort of just make policy As decisions. we did on many other issues. Yes. Pollution or climate or things like that. Nuclear warheads. Nuclear warheads. Like all kinds of things. So why—but who, who's the leader then if we have a, a, an administration currently who doesn't have a CTO? May yes. I make that note? How do you feel about that? <laughs> I'm so sad for yeah. uh, that— part of our, our government. There was a real estate guy there, but he's gone. No, I'm serious. He was. He was very nice. Yes, he was. There's um, nobody there. It's like empty. It's <laughs> fascinating. Right? At a time empty. when, like, we are... They actually let me in the White House. I can't believe it, but they <laughs> And did you, like, steal M&M's? Did no, you do, like, I didn't. Oh, I brought my on. phone in and taped everything, like, Omar <laughs> But you could, by the way. Let me just... I was such a good girl. I put it in the box, and I, nobody checked it. Like... And I was like, wow, they used to check it. Like, they used to, like, yeah. it was really kind of shocking. I mean, totally separate part. Like, the, the Internet tech policy issues, which I used to cover, mm-hmm. gone. Right? right. Nobody's watching that. No. Uh, cybersecurity, no. gone. No, one, no one's there. But honestly, I'm thinking about, like, biotech. Mm-hmm. Zika, right, right, right yeah. Ebola, yeah. climate yeah. change, like all of these things where like there is no input, scientific input, right, right, yeah. no, n- much less policy input yep. on what to do about those right. things. Thank goodness we don't have a Zika, like because they wouldn't have. Who would tell them what who, to do? How would we know? How would we know? <laughs> which is interesting. There's a new book coming out with Woodward, which is, is frightening actually, because mm-hmm. they're basically taking paper paper off his desk so he doesn't see things. But was that a good thing to have a CTO? Do you think, or, or as deputy CTO? Because why? Because I think you need a voice for tech at the table. And this goes back to where we started the conversation. It was like, technology is not someone who provides your email, mm-hmm. right? Technology 
technology is actually a a moving force, a bigger, bigger right? Thing. That that can deliver services well. But we're not just fixing websites. Like this is about reaching a, millions of people, mm-hmm. right, to make their lives better. That's right. that's where the possibility right. exists. 100%. And you want people who are in the CTO's role who can envision that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and give advice in a, in a helpful And way. have a seat at the table of the president to right. tell him that right. that vision exists. Right. And he would just want you to help him do Twitter, right? Trump, yeah. <laughs> he does a pretty good job, actually. Yeah, that. he seems to be a master. He's real good that. at it. But <laughs> so getting back, I want to get back to China before we go yeah. and then talk lastly about diversity. Um Google in China. Yeah. You worked on the coming out of China, going in and coming out. Yeah. Which was for very, it was a big call at the time. It was. It, and, and I think the company struggled with it going in and coming mm-hmm. out. And right. candidly, I would stand by both decisions. I would, to this day, stand by the reasons we went into China. Which I were? Think, yeah, ex- explain um, them. To make the services more broadly available to a significant part of a population that was I don't think that Google would have ever said this, but it was information poor, right? Mm-hmm. They just didn't have access right. to as much as you could get. And mm-hmm. so even when you censor, and I think that the way that we managed search results, when we knew that there was a an area the government would not let us show, mm-hmm. we— Gong. Right, exactly. But we would show at the bottom a disclaimer that says some results have been withheld because of the, the government restrictions. But then— at least Chinese users knew what they were missing, mm-hmm. right? And before they had no idea. They thought they were seeing the whole world. Mm-hmm. So I think that that telling, giving them that instinct to to have a sense for what is missing mm-hmm. was an important. Okay. Although the government now might let you put that warning. I, on. Well, I, I think yeah. that's right, right. Right. Like so, now that we're gone, is that still the way things work? I think that that was actually a really important thing. I also think candidly, the way that Google. That's the from, optimistic. I know, but I was, that might have been, you know, the time that I was there and the things that I believed in. But then coming out? But coming out, like, over the course of the years that we were there, increasingly repressive, increasingly censoring, and then intrusions onto the Google systems, Mm -hmm. right, by Chinese hackers, Mm -hmm. all have said, this isn't worth it, right? right? There's no way we can protect our users and Mm -hmm. and defend our mission Mm -hmm. with with this happening. And so we left. And I think that that was the right call, too. Mm -hmm. And I thought... What we did was we we left in a noisy way mm-hmm. to make sure that people understood yeah. what was at stake. Right. I think it's really interesting, right? Like the questions that I got from Congress during that period were some of them were around this issue of like, how can you undermine democratic values by acceding to that government's censorship? And, you know, mm-hmm. like um, when you were there, well, when we were there. And right now, now the questions are flipped, which is like, why aren't you censoring more? Right. right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. By the same people. <laughs> for our stuff. Right. For our stuff. Yeah. Right. And so, like, I think. You know like, what I think they're mad about is Facebook has pulled away a lot of uh, political and news stuff and put in more cat videos again. And they don't like <laughs> and that. And they don't like that. They like taking time Yeah, out. exactly. <laughs> but that's that's my theory. That's my that's my working theory. Yeah. So, it's like, it's, I'm, I, I don't know that it's, I don't think no. it's wrong oh, yeah. for that they've changed their focus. I just, I'm saddened that yeah. that's the place where it is. So, right but now. what about going now into China. It's gotten a backlash within Google yeah. as it has yeah. work for the Defense Department, as has work, right. all kinds of things. So I don't know enough about their decision making around that. What I, do you imagine? I haven't heard enough about like, what that they we're going to help do. China be better. Yeah, but I, but I think it matters a lot how, right? right? Like I think it, when we first went in, 
it was with this notion of, hey, we're going to have disclaimers about right. what we removed, but it's also we would not have authenticated users mm-hmm. in China so that we would never be in a position of having to deliver right. a, ch- a user right. to the Chinese government. Right. I don't know whether that's the constraints, yeah. but I would hope that they are thinking through. Why do they want to go in now? They just can't miss this one, this could, swing? Yeah. I mean, like data, right? Yeah. Huge right. swaths of data. Yeah. They and I, I, I don't disagree with its value yeah. either, right? Yeah. Dirty data. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. I mean, I know it seems like I just, it's just, it's, yeah. They haven't gotten better. This country hasn't. It's gotten more authoritarian. Yes. And so right. is the rest and of is, the world. And it's not going to yeah. get better. There's no the way future. they're going to do it. And so it's, they're just going to have to admit what they're doing. Right. Right. Which is interesting. Do you think, what changed in that regard? Just we can't, we need the data. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, I totally don't know. I will say, like, for China, and I don't know, I don't know any background to it. So Kai-Fu Lee, who actually I'm used to work. To tomorrow, yeah. Oh, you are. Yeah. So yeah. he used to work for Google, and now yeah. he's he's there. And I think he's been saying some really interesting things about AI mm-hmm. and, like, the proper role for AI and the mm-hmm. proper role for humans. Mm-hmm. I actually think that that's a more interesting conversation than I'm hearing in a lot of the yeah. United States. Yeah. Right? There's a lot of so, cool stuff going on at China yeah. at the same time. And yeah. I do think they're sort of going to clean our clock in many ways. Yeah. Um, but fascinated but, to but authoritarianism <laughs> helps. Yes. helps to be totally. able to do that. So lastly, I want to, we just have yeah. a few more minutes. This diversity issue in tech is something you, you have this group of women, mostly women in AI now. Is that right? Or it just happens to be? Oh, women? no. It's, that's, I think it's uh, across the board. So Another thing, California may rule that we have to have so many women on the boards, things like that. Yeah, super interesting. I mean, like, after I left the administration, the Obama administration, they kicked off an initiative, I think under Megan, Mm -hmm. right, which is diversity in tech, which makes a total sense. Mm -hmm. I think it was also coinciding with, like, the Ellen Powell Mm -hmm. case and and that sort of thing. So there was a a lot of movement at that point. Pinterest was talking about, like, Mm -hmm. let's everybody publish their numbers, let's put more money into it. And then it kind of all went quiet. Mm -hmm. And then there was Me Too. Right. I think that there's been a huge amount of progress by folks. And I know you talked like Eileen Lee and mm-hmm. All Eileen, Rays yeah. Yeah. and um, Sikinder's board mm-hmm. list mm-hmm. and Megan because she's in mm-hmm. everything, like <laughs> continuing to promote diversity mm-hmm. uh, uh, across the board in STEM. I have heard at the CEO and board level that the right questions are now being asked by, mm-hmm. you know, our white male mm-hmm. folks, you know, what am I going to do? to change the diversity mm-hmm. equation in, in this company. That's awesome. And I find myself impatient that it's not happening right. faster. To finish, make the product case for it, for a lawyer that you want should have this. Yeah. So, like, I think particularly for those products that are very social, to not have the perspective of women and marginalized people telling you, what feels dangerous to me, mm-hmm. right? Or what would I really like to see? You are missing an opportunity. Like I completely buy all of the data that says the financial performance of more diverse companies is significantly better. I completely believe that because you you are actually looking at your user base within your company and having them co-design with you a better product. Mm-hmm. That to me is like, it's, it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. The fact that we cannot seem to retain those people and get them to higher levels... Because now they're just dragging them in. They're not helping them. Exactly. They're like like stuff in the pipeline, right? And so their numbers look good there, but they, I am still hearing like people are in rooms where they feel like they're alone and they have no voice. Yep. Right? And whatever we got to do to change that, we have got to do it faster. Absolutely. This has been a riveting discussion. Nicole, I'm having you back. (laughs) You're my new Chamath. 
<laughs> that's, that's nice. It's a compliment. That I, <laughs> that's a com- even though we all know Jamal, it's a compliment in any case. This has been great. These are great topics. I mean, I'm going to have you back to talk about more. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much. If you enjoy, by the way, Nicole was pinging me on Twitter, right? Weren't we? And yes, I said, that's come right. on the freaking show and tell quickly. me that. So just anybody who does that, except for that real mean person today, that would be no great. No mean people. No, I'm okay with mean people. I uh, like mean people. Really? I, uh, no, I don't, I don't need any mean people mind. in my Twitter feed. I don't mind. I don't mind. I, I want to talk to Steve Bannon. So I don't know who, what That's do I know? That's true. You are a glutton for punishment. Yes, I am. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find more episodes of Rico Decode on Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you didn't like the interview, uh, you, you're an idiot. Or just want to say hi, tweet at me. I'm at Kara Swisher on Twitter. Now that you're done with this, go check out the latest episode of Recode Media. You should find that show wherever you find this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. And thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then.